Good morning, everyone. <laughs> um, we're going to read two different passages, and I'd, I'm really praying that you'll open your minds and hearts to what the passages have to say today. The first one is from Proverbs chapter 8, starting at verse 22, hopefully. There we are. The Lord brought me forth as the first of his works, before his deeds of old. I was formed long ago, at the very beginning when the world came to be. When there were no watery depths, I was given birth. When there were no springs overflowing with water. Before the mountains were settled in place, before the hills, I was given birth. Before he made the world or its fields or any of the dust of the earth, I was there when he set the heavens in place, when he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the fountains of the deep, when he gave the sea its boundary so the waters would not overstep his command, and when he marked out the foundations of the earth. Then I was constantly at his side, I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world and delighting in mankind. The second passage is taken from the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it'll be verses 18 to 25, oh, 21. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of the sage? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Hey, good morning and uh, welcome to, uh, to church. Uh, we've been working through the book of Proverbs if you are visiting and it's a book of wisdom, a book of uh, collected wisdom over a long time from the people of Israel primarily written by a guy called King Solomon. King kind of gives you a hint that he's a fairly important kind of person. And this was a, a source of, of learning and teaching for the community of faith you know, through the nation of Israel and through the church the last couple of thousand years. And we've been uh, jumping into Proverbs. Joel preached a cracker of a message last week about words. And I'm wondering who, who's, who was thinking differently about their words this week? You know, who was more aware of their words? Who said some wise words this week? Oh my gosh, we might have to start again, Book of Proverbs. <laughs> who was grateful for the grace of God this week with their words? <laughs> I was, <laughs> for sure. Um, I come from a family culture where we, we shoot from the hip and we're fairly direct, um, at least on the Greek side of the family. And, you know, when Amanda first came into the family, she thought, these people are mad. 
and partly she was right. Um, there's a bit of craziness there, and everything is out. Everything is, you, you speak before you think, and I still struggle from that. I've gotten better over the years, but I do apologise, you know, you, as you've got to know me, if, uh, if that's happened, um, I don't mean any harm by it. It's just sometimes I do, you know, and last week's message from Joel was really helpful to think and, and pray about, you know, how we speak to each other and how we do that. So just to recap, if you want a little snapshot of wisdom, what is wisdom? Well, it's all of that, really. Embodied knowledge, lived skillfully and wholeheartedly. It's not just knowing things. Like, gosh, who can, we can know everything now. Google, just at the, the drop of it. I just say now, hey Siri, you know, what's the capital of Botswana? Ah, didn't happen. But uh, Siri just tells me, you know, we can know everything. We can, knowledge is so cheap now, but wisdom, how to live, how to avoid disaster, how to get out of disaster when it might befall us, that's wisdom. Choosing the right thing to do and say at the right time, applying knowledge appropriately, that's kind of a basis of wisdom. And we've been using this expression from Tremper Longman, who says, wisdom is the skill of living. It's a practical knowledge that helps one know how to act, how to speak in different situations. Wisdom entails the ability to avoid problems and the skill to handle them when they present themselves. So I want you to just talk, turn to someone next to you just for a minute and just talk about wisdom and what it's meant for you the last several weeks. If you've been here, if you've been visiting, what, what have you learned about wisdom or how, how have you grown in wisdom? I'm going to get a drink of water. Well, you're all wiser and smarter, and that's good. Um, we should keep in mind that wisdom, you know, from a Christian biblical perspective, is deeply and intricately connected with knowing God. And effectively, you can have like five PhDs and, and not have a relationship with the living God, and biblically, you're a fool. Or you can have no official learning, no formal training in anything. And no God have made peace with him through Jesus. And you're already, you know, your wisdom level is tank is already starting to fill up because wisdom comes from knowing God and being uh, near him and listening to him and following him. When we gather together as a church on Sundays, that's where we, we read his word, we worship. And the worship was really beautiful. Thank you, Julie, for leading us through that. Sometimes I get disarmed in, in our worship times and I'm, I'm there kind of blubbering behind my mask just thinking how wonderful Jesus is and so grateful for all that he's done for me in my life and thank you for helping us into that space this morning. I just want to introduce you quickly to my friend, Plasticine Jesus. I love Plasticine Jesus. Um, There's so much to like about him. I mean, one, he's made of Plasticine, so you can mold him and shape him. He has a spring. So he like bends and he moves to where you want him to bend and move. Plasticine Jesus is the best Jesus ever. Like, he's not really fussed about what you do with your money, how you use it to help and bless those who, who are poor. He, he doesn't mind if you ignore the cries of the poor and pay no attention to the needs of those in trouble and our culture. And so he doesn't care. He's plasticine Jesus. He just kind of bends where you need him to bend. He doesn't really worry about what you do sexually. He's not interested in your sexual life. Just whatever you want to do, it's cool. Just plasticine. Jesus is right on board with your particular view of sexuality 
and how you express that. He, he's just, he just he like goes like this, he bends, he moves. He doesn't really care how you treat others. If you want to be indifferent and mean or unloving, plasticine Jesus, he's right there. He just kind of shapes and molds around you. He doesn't ask anything of you. He doesn't demand anything from you. Plasticine Jesus is just such a cool Jesus to have. Unfortunately, he's not the real Jesus. And the Bible gives us Bible Jesus. It's the only place that we find and know who Jesus is, what he said, what he was like, what he required, what he asked of us, what he did, the only source of authoritative knowledge and information is our Bible. As much as plasticine Jesus is a fun and groovy Jesus to have around, he's not real, even though we shape and mold him in the image that we want for him so often. But we do have, thankfully, Bible Jesus. And as we come to the kind of end of our series on Proverbs, we've looked at, like, you know, what is wisdom? We've looked at wisdom for, for our finances and for our work. We've looked at wisdoms for our relationships and our family connections. We've looked at wisdom for our words and our speech. And today we, we see that Jesus... He embodies and personifies and fulfills wisdom more than we can ever, <clears throat> but ultimately invites us into that relationship with him where we can learn wisdom from him. We can learn from Bible Jesus, not plasticine Jesus, how to live, how to live well, how to love, how to love well, how to make our lives count for something. Because when you think about it, the average life on this earth is 4,000 weeks. If you're 21, you've burnt up over 1,000 weeks already. 4,000 weeks. That's not very long, is it? 4,000 weeks. So how do we live with wisdom? How do we live with intentionality? How do we live rightly in those 4,000 weeks on average that God gives to us? Well, we have Jesus, and he's a cool example. The Bible Jesus. I love Bible Jesus. Sometimes I admit he's difficult. <laughs> Sometimes I admit he says things to me that I don't like. Sometimes he challenges my life and points out my hypocrisy and my deceitfulness and my inconsistency, my sin. And I don't feel good about that. I don't like that. But I know that Bible Jesus, he does it because he loves me. He does it because he knows the truth. He does it because he is the ultimate expression of wisdom who ever walked this earth. When he was born uh, in Luke, as the child grew and became strong, he was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was on him. As Jesus grew up, as he went through his childhood, his teenage years into manhood, and when he began his ministry at the age of 30, you know, he grew in wisdom. He grew in his his faithful relationship with God, and he grew in wisdom, which gives us hope too, that we can grow in wisdom. We can grow. We don't have to keep making the same mistakes over and over again uh, because Jesus can help us. When Jesus went to his hometown, 
when he began his ministry. Um, you know, hometown boy makes good, comes back, and, and like people are like, wow, you know, listen to Jesus. And he began to teach in their synagogue or their church, and, and they were amazed. They're like, where did this man get this wisdom? Like, what, what school did he go to? What, what study did he do? What rabbi did he study under? He is off the charts, Jesus. He's amazing. We've never heard anyone like this. Where did he get this wisdom and this, these miraculous powers, they asked? And Jesus was known for his wisdom, for his miraculous powers. Interestingly, his hometown rejected him and at one point tried to kill him, throw him off a brow of a hill. But um, God was with him and it wasn't his time to die, so he walked right through them. At one time when Jesus was teaching, uh, he said this to the people. The Queen of the South, this is reference to, a, to an African queen, uh, who came uh, many thousands of years before to visit King Solomon, who wrote the book of Proverbs, the, the kind of wisest man who lived. And the queen of the south came to see him and hear his wisdom and seek him out because he had such an amazing international reputation in terms of his power, his wealth, his wisdom. And she, she went on this journey with her entourage to see and hear King Solomon. And Jesus said, well, remember that story. She came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. But I tell you, something greater than Solomon is here. And as a church community who believe in the resurrection of Jesus and the gift of the Holy Spirit to the church, that something greater, that someone greater is here now with us. And as we speak about him, as we proclaim Bible Jesus, he may be speaking to you. He may be touching something in your life because he is here and it would be worth paying attention to Bible Jesus because he is far greater than the most wealthy, powerful, wise, intellectual, brilliant celebrities of the day. Well, what about... Um, well, I'll get to that in a sec, but by the way, I should apologize. I don't have sermon notes for you this morning. I blame the leadership retreat. I had too much to do. <laughs> and we had a good time yesterday, and thank you for all the leaders that came, 20, about 21 people, and spent time together. People have a lot happening in their lives, and you should know that the leaders of the church set aside like the day yesterday to plan and pray and kind of work together um, for this church community. This is the Apostle Paul as he writes to the church in Colossae in modern day Turkey. That's where this church is. I've stood on the heap of mound that is Colossae. It's an unexcavated ruins, so it's basically just a mound. But Paul wrote a letter to that church and the churches in the area. And this is, gives a hint of what the early church was really focused on, what they wanted for their people. So this is what God wants for us. My goal, says Paul, his whole ministry, his focus in his ministry, is that you may be encouraged in heart, united in love, so encouraged in your own heart, united in love with one another and with God, that you would have the full riches of complete understanding in order that you may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. Listen to this. This just blows my mind. Christ Jesus, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Jesus, are in Jesus. Now, when I was uh, a little bit younger, we have a nephew in, uh, in Melbourne, 
and there used to be a restaurant there called Smorgies. Did you ever have Smorgies here? No, anyway, don't worry. It was, was all-you-can-eat buffet. That was like $9.99 or $12 for all-you-can-eat buffet. Now, I worked as a chef for 10 years, and I knew that to be able to make a profit on $9.99 per head all-you-could-eat, they must be doing some dodgy stuff back there in that kitchen. So I was always a little bit cautious about eating at Smorgies, right? But to their credit, they had a good roast section and they had all sorts of stuff, you know, a whole range of stuff you could choose from. My nephew, Rowan, he was like eight years old, he would come back from this huge array of, of buffet with a big plate of prawn crackers. <laughs> and then I'd be on you know, my entree bit, trying to get my salads together, the right dressings, and then I'd move on to the next course, try and work it out. And then he'd go back <laughs> and come back with another plate of prawn crackers and maybe like a, a fried calamari ring or something. And then he'd move on to sun, you know, Sunday with chocolate sauce. And I thought, Rowan, there's such a buffet. There's so much here to choose from, mate. So many, so much, so many options. Okay, it's $9.99, but it's mostly all right. And I thought about that with this verse, that this is what Paul's saying to the church. Jesus is so wonderful. Jesus is so expansive. Jesus will continually blow your mind and open your heart and life in ways that you couldn't imagine. Jesus keeps giving. In him is the source of all wisdom, all treasure, and you just want a plate of prawn crackers. You're satisfied with a plate of prawn crackers. My prayer church, this is what I want for you. I want God to open your eyes to see how amazing Jesus is, what he's done, who he is, how he can transform your life, how faithful he'll be to you as a friend, how he can in a moment, an instant, change something in your heart and transform your life in a way that will undo you and change you. I want you to know this church, says the Apostle Paul. And so that is in Jesus we become wise. There's so much to explore and take hold of. Don't just settle for the plate of prawn crackers. And so this is what Paul says to the Corinthian church. We get this snapshot in these letters in the New Testament of what the early church was doing, what they were about. And nothing has changed people. This is what Paul said to the church. We preach Christ crucified. We preach Jesus Christ, born of Mary, lived his life, died on a cross, raised from the dead. That's who we talk about. That's who we proclaim. That's what the church is about. It's a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. The Jews and the Greeks were kind of the cultural, the cultural elites of the day. The, that was the culture. Paul's saying to the, to the leaders in the culture, to the intellectuals, to the religious leaders, to the philosophers, to the wise people of the culture, the message of Jesus is stupid. It's stupid, it's weak, it's pathetic. But we're going to preach it We're going to proclaim it because it's the only message that can save. It's the only message that can heal and help. Um, I'm just going to zip through a few 
notes here that I had, which I'll do another time. But um, if you look through our Mount Barker Baptist Church statement of faith, if you look at our vision, if you look at our mission, and you should if you're a member of the church community, you'll see that Jesus is all over it. <laughs> the whole thing's about Jesus. We, our purpose is to proclaim Jesus. Our vision is to build a Christ-centered community. And we believe Jesus is the Son of God. We believe he's the judge of the living and the dead. We believe he will come back one day to judge the living and the dead. We believe that he's the atoning sacrifice for our sins and the sins of the whole world. We believe that Jesus Christ has authority and, and kingship over all matters for life and faith in our church. It's, the whole thing's about Jesus. It's worth reading and refreshing ourselves about that sometimes. But just jumping ahead from that, we should know that in the first century, um, the people in the culture didn't just suddenly go, oh, that's great. Oh, you know, we love plasticine in Jesus. We can just add him to our lives and make him fit in, and, and he'll just work his way around our lives. He'll just kind of, you know, mold into the shape of my life. We just love plasticine in Jesus. He's great. No, they started to attack and kill and jail people who were proclaiming this message because you can't handle a hand grenade without a pin in it safely and once the message of Jesus is released it's a hand grenade without a pin in it and it will go off it will blow up when the early Christians got together and said Jesus is Lord it wasn't just a nice little devotional thing they were doing like oh that's nice Jesus is Lord do you know who the Lord was in that day? There was a guy called Caesar who had authority, ultimate and total authority to take your possessions, to put you to death like that. And they put Christians to death repeatedly, over and over. The message that Jesus is Lord wasn't just, hey, plasticine Jesus wants to fit into our lives and just make everything great and he just loves us all the time and it's all groovy. Bible Jesus was offensive and people were offended. And I've come to the point in my life after 30 years of ministry that, 28, that you can't ultimately soften and make palatable and make easy to receive the message of Jesus. Okay, there are ways to do it foolishly and silly which might ostracize and cause unnecessary offense and be just dumb. But ultimately, at some point, the message of Jesus, if you hear what he says, if you understand who he is, it will offend you. It will cause you to have to decide. You can't, you can't be on the fence with Jesus. If he's not who he said he is, fine. Just take it, you know, leave it. But if his claims are true, if he is who he says, then he demands allegiance. He deserves allegiance. And the N.T. Wright, if you ever quote N.T. Wright in a sermon, effectively it's like the Bible and then N.T. Wright, that's in my you know, understanding. He's a great Christian scholar. But I love what he says here about that offensive message. The Christian good news is all about God Dying on a rubbish heap at the wrong end of the empire. It's all about God babbling nonsense to a room full of philosophers. Remember Paul said the message is foolishness to the philosophers. It's all about the true God confronting the world of posturing, power and prestige and overthrowing it in order to set up his own kingdom. A kingdom in which the weak and the foolish find themselves just as welcome as the strong and the wise, if not more so. 
It's not an easy message. It is an offensive message. But it's a beautiful message. It's, it's a beautiful message. Listen to what Peter says. As he's preaching in the book of Acts, chapter 4, you can find this. He says to the people, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. It's not an easy message. It's not necessarily an inoffensive message that Jesus is Lord. He has all authority and, and you are called to allegiance and submission to him. That's not easy. Jesus is above and over all other gods, all other powers, all other authorities. That's that's an exclusive message but it's a beautiful message it's a message that saves it's a name that saves it's a name that heals it's a name that restores so i invite you this morning you know if you're here and you know jesus and this is an amen kind of time for you and you're like yes amen maybe you're here and and you you're not sure i kind of believe in jesus or i know about jesus But do I know him in a way where my heart has been transformed, where his love has made its home, where I've experienced the the cleansing and forgiveness of my sin? When I I own him for myself, I know that he knows my name. I have an intimate connection with him in love. Maybe you're someone who, who hasn't, you know, you've grown up in the church community maybe, you've kind of been around it all your life. You've been like at that buffet and just getting some prawn crackers, but you haven't really tasted. You haven't really said, Lord, I I want more of you. I want what you have for me. I want what you have for my life. I don't want to waste my 4,000 weeks. I don't want to waste it, whatever it might be. But I'll finish just for our church community as we followed on from our time yesterday as a leadership team. I've got access recently to some historical stuff, and I thank Colin Anderson for that, for giving me some historic... I love history. Uh, I have a very strong belief that those who don't learn from history are bound to repeat its mistakes. And so coming into this church, I I wanted to know as much history as I could. When I was at my last church, Q Baptist, which was 166 years old this year, um, I just read devout as much as I could to find out about its history. And, and I'm doing the same here, and Colin's been very helpful, and Miriam as well. And this is what I found this week, and I'll just leave it for us as a message for our church community. If you're visiting, it's a message for you too. Um, Kev, is there a next one there? I think I've lost control here. So, um, This is a pastor from 1986. Does anyone remember PJ Smith? Cynthia? Yep. Ross? Yep. Margaret? Um, he was writing this just a couple of years before the church was going to leave the town centre and come here. And I thought, isn't this interesting what he wrote? The history of this church has been colourful. Oh, yeah, that's the one. Um, hang on, which one have I got? What have we got up there? We are now, oh, here we go. We are now facing a new beginning. The Baptist Church in Mount Barker will no longer meet in these historic buildings. <laughs> that's interesting, isn't it? Um, but in another location in town. We must learn from history, says PJ, and continually look to the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We sang that beautiful song before. The church body will then continue to grow as we look towards God and continue to minister the almighty power of God to change lives into his plan and purpose 
until he comes. And then he wrote, he wrote this. The history of this church has been colourful <laughs> with people and circumstances. As the church body has kept their eyes on him, on Jesus, and been dependent in prayer and devotion for direction with a resultant love, support and encouragement, the church has grown spiritually and numerically as it has focused on Jesus as it has depended on prayer it has grown numerically and spiritually and then he goes on the time of rapid growth early this century that's like 1900s came as a result of an evangelistic mission weeks of prayer both before and after that event and times of waiting on God it was during this time that a new work at Little Hampton was started. Interestingly, we're moving to Little Hampton in a couple of months, and new people were being added to the church constantly. It's great to see some new people here this morning. You're very welcome. When the church, this is our church, the Mount Barker Baptist Church became inward-looking, concentrated on personalities, and was prayerless, there was little or no growth. In fact, the church lost ground. If we don't learn the lessons from history, we're bound to repeat their mistakes. The good news is the same Jesus that was with PJ, the same Jesus was with the people who started this church 149 years ago, is with us. It's not plasticine Jesus. It's real Jesus. It's Bible Jesus, and he is with us. And I want to just prepare you for this next slide as we head into communion. All right, there it is. It's quite confronting. That's Bible Jesus. That's a real man with real breath in his lungs, giving his life for this world, for you, for me. That's the real Jesus. That's Bible Jesus. And the Apostle Paul said, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin. This perfect, wise, beautiful, faithful man of God, son of God. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, to be a sin offering so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. We might learn and grow in the wisdom of God. And the next slide says, the Apostle John wrote this, who spent three years with Jesus. Three years with real Bible, flesh and blood Jesus. And he said this to the church, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and he will forgive us our sins and he will purify us from all unrighteousness. We want to go alone, be self-sufficient, make out everything's okay, and just ignore his calling in our lives. We won't know this grace. But if we're honest, if we're open before him, if we surrender, he will forgive us. This is the wisdom of God. This is the beauty of God's message. This powerless man hanging on a cross, dying in agony, is the way that God has chosen to save and transform this world. There is no other name. There is no other way. 
And this Jesus has given the church, the body of Christ, his mission, his call to continue this work, to proclaim him in all of his beauty and his magnificence, yes, in his offense, but to proclaim him and not to shrink back and not to hide our light or his light under a container or a bushel. So let's pray together. I haven't prepared helpers for communion. I apologize. I'm new here. I'm still learning. So I have asked Barb, um, perhaps if a couple of other people could help. Um, we'll just see who comes down the front when we do that. But I want us to pray, and I want us to pray together a prayer of confession. And maybe these words exactly aren't your words you can pray in your own way during communion for your own life. But I want us to corporately pray together a prayer of confession as we come to the table, as we come to the meal that Jesus invites us to. I want us to do that as a church. And I want to invite us to stand as we do that out of respect for God as a way of honouring him. Let's stand. And I invite you to join in this prayer with me. Thanks, Kev, if you move it forward. Let's pray. Lord God, our maker and our redeemer, this is your world. We are your people. Come among us and save us. We have willfully misused your gifts of creation. Lord, be merciful. Lord, we have loved our traditions and forms of our worship more than the one we profess to worship. We have paid homage to you with our lips, but our hearts have been far from you. Lord, set our hearts on fire with love for you. Lord, we have made an idol of comfort and entertainment. And instead of taking up our cross, have taken up the couch. We have brokered peace with the world, but betrayed our first love in return. We have been ashamed of your name, Jesus. Lord, forgive us. Lord, we have spent more time counting our money than we have counting the cost to follow you. We have closed our ears to the cry of the widow, the orphan, the homeless. We have loved the security and status we think that our wealth brings, but we have built our lives on sinking sand. Lord, have mercy. Lord, we have gossiped and spoken ill of people made in your image. We have withheld encouragement and kindness, remained silent when we should have spoken in defense of another. We have failed your command to love one another. Lord, forgive us. Father God, though we have fallen short of your glory, thank you through Jesus you have lavished great love upon us. Thank you that because of Jesus, we are forgiven, set free, holy and dearly loved, and given a hope and a future. Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus, for Jesus. Lord, thank you that you are so brilliant, so wise, so powerful. You've, you've kind of hidden this glory and this grace and this message of Christ in a way where proud and obstinate people think of it as ridiculous see it as weak and are so impressed by the wealth and status and power of this world and yet here's a man dying on a cross the God 
of the universe becoming flesh, the son of the living God, giving his life for us all. And Lord, we thank you that when we see you, it won't be as a weak and dying man on a cross. It will be as a conquering king, eyes a flame of fire, coming to judge the living and the dead, coming to put an end to all the wickedness, all the death and destruction, all the lies, coming to heal all of the sadness and sorrow of this world. We thank you and say, come, Lord Jesus. And Lord, we offer you our 4,000 weeks, whatever, however many weeks we have left, Lord. Some of us have more than others. We don't know. But Lord, we offer you our humble little lives today and thank you for all that you have done. Thank you for your wisdom and grace. And we surrender to you, Lord. We surrender our church afresh to you. Jesus Christ, you are Lord of this church. And we welcome your authority. We welcome your sovereignty. We welcome your kingship in this church. Lead us and guide us, Lord Jesus. Help us look to you. Help us be prayerful. Help us pray together as your people. As we've done in our history and in our past and see you work and see you move as we partner with you in prayer. Thank you for forgiving our sins. Thank you for offering your life for us. Lord, help us to take you seriously afresh this week. Help us to, to know how much you love us, to see all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge that are in you, and to be continually amazed and in awe of how great you are, how wonderful, and that in you all things will work out for good for those who love you and are calling, called according to your purpose. Thank you that in you, Jesus, the best is yet to come. Thank you that in you we have hope that cannot be crushed or cannot be exhausted. Thank you that in you uh, the best is yet to come. We love you, Lord Jesus.